Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 51 Blood and Guts. This week, I'm continuing the theme from last week's episode, Aches and Pains discussing some of the weird and wonderful changes and symptoms you might notice during pregnancy. This week's title is because I'm taking the time to think about things that affect mainly your gut or digestive system and things that affect your blood vessels. Perhaps I should have called it guts and blood because I'm actually going to start with the gut. Why? Because I'm going to start at the beginning, the beginning of pregnancy that is, with so-called morning sickness. This is supposed to be only in the morning and supposed to be in early pregnancy, the first trimester or the first 12 weeks or so. I'm going to unpick that a bit because for some women that will be true. It may be nausea or vomiting in early pregnancy. Around 80% of women will experience this. And I certainly experienced nausea, although I was fortunate enough not to actually vomit. It's thought to be related to the levels of an early pregnancy hormone called beta-HCG. And certainly conditions which make these levels higher, such as multiple pregnancy or an abnormal sort of pregnancy called a molar pregnancy, can make the symptoms worse. So one of the first things we do when a woman is struggling with significant nausea and vomiting of pregnancy is to offer an early pregnancy scan to check out the pregnancy and see what's going on and whether there's any underlying reason for the vomiting to be excessive. In general, we suggest eating small amounts of fairly dry food, biscuits, toast, grazing rather than big meals. And most treatment is offered on the basis of trying to prevent or treat severe dehydration. 3% of women will experience more severe vomiting symptoms, become dehydrated, experience weight loss. And these women will often need admission to hospital and treatment with intravenous fluid and anti-sickness medication and thymine, a B vitamin. Sometimes we can offer this treatment as a day case in an early pregnancy unit on a regular basis to prevent the woman becoming so unwell she needs hospitalisation. That means turning up maybe once or twice a week, having a drip sighted, having a bag of fluid, maybe some anti-sickness injections and then going home. This degree of vomiting is far more than an inconvenience Women may have changes in their liver and kidney function and become extremely unwell. If 
normal anti-sickness medication doesn't work, we have three different types we can try and then she might require a course of steroid treatment if the escalating anti-sickness drugs are not sufficient. Some unfortunate women will experience this severe nausea and vomiting for a much longer duration throughout pregnancy, with the vomiting persisting, sometimes even all the way through. These women need significant understanding and support. It's essential. This excessive sort of vomiting, either because it's very severe and a woman becomes dehydrated, or because it goes on for a long duration, is called hyperemesis gravidarum. Hyperemesis means excessive vomiting. Gravidarum simply means pregnancy. The problem with the name morning sickness and the assumption it'll happen in the first few weeks of pregnancy means that we can underestimate its effect. I have on more than one occasion been asked by elderly acquaintances to talk to their adult daughter who's struggling with pregnancy nausea and vomiting. I can end up feeling that the assumption is that I'm going to tell her off, tell her to belt up. It's normal. It's a normal symptom. Everyone has it. Mind over matter and all that. I've had women who've required anti-sickness medication and intravenous support all the way through pregnancy. The whole pregnancy becomes an ordeal. As it's a recurrent issue, it may be so severe that women will consider a termination of pregnancy when they become pregnant or limit family size to a smaller number of children than they originally wanted. One of my regular listeners, Deepa, has been kind enough to share a few insights into her experience. I'm sharing these with her permission. She said that one of her biggest problems with high premises was people thinking she was being grumpy or overdramatic. It was only when her husband and parents saw firsthand how she was that she was believed. She describes it as a life-changing experience and along with the nausea and vomiting, a very acute sense of smell, being very sensitive to any kind of smell of food. So much so that she would have to shut herself away in a room as any cooking smell could be a trigger. She told me about a time when her husband would have to make her four different breakfasts because she couldn't predict what would set her off. And even plain water could be a trigger. Deepa was in India. She had a supportive obstetrician who said there was no right or wrong food, just to eat what she could tolerate. And I think this is really good advice. I have cared for a woman who could only drink orange juice her entire pregnancy. Water was a complete no, totally off limits. I've also looked after women who've existed on boiled potatoes for months and worried about the nutritional value of what they've been able to eat and keep down. They've been concerned about lack of vitamins if they're existing on dry toast, boiled rice. Women worry about the nutrition their babies will receive when they're struggling to keep anything down. And this adds additional stress to what already is a very difficult condition. 
Having talked about heartburn last week, I'm now going to return my attention to the other end of the gut. Constipation, a common pregnancy symptom. Difficulty going to the toilet to open your bowels. Perhaps very infrequently, many days apart. Or with significant hard stool. It's thought that progesterone hormones may reduce the frequency of bowel action. But dehydration obviously makes things worse. When a woman is struggling to keep fluid down, it's no wonder she may get constipated. But what about women that don't have nausea and vomiting? Well, every pregnant woman is busy increasing her circulating blood volume by about one and a quarter litres, let alone the fluid retention that she may need to increase her fat cells and lay down stores ready for feeding her baby after it's born. So she needs more water. Her gut will absorb more. So she needs to drink plenty. Otherwise, her stools will become more solid. On top of this, we midwives and obstetricians may add iron supplements. These can make symptoms worse. Difficulty going to the toilet and straining can then add the additional problem of hemorrhoids, which are dilated veins around the anus, which can either bleed when you go to the toilet or cause itching. If one of these veins gets blocked with a blood clot, a so-called thrombosed hemorrhoid, they can be excruciatingly painful. Once again, something that sounds trivial, but something that for some women who've been in so much agony they need to be admitted to hospital. This is not a joking matter. Minor hemorrhoids can be treated with topical creams like Anusol that can be bought over the counter in any chemist and perhaps a laxative to make the stool softer and make it easier to go to the toilet. Painkillers, unfortunately, can make the situation worse. So if a woman's admitted in severe pain, We think you could be kind giving her morphine or codeine, but actually this can increase the constipation. Some women are in so much pain, they cannot sit down. And sometimes in severe cases, we need to prescribe a local anaesthetic gel to try and make things less excruciating. But there's very little we can do in pregnancy, except be patient and wait for the pain to subside over time. Dilated veins are a more widespread problem than just hemorrhoids. The weight of the baby and the growing womb leads to dilated blood vessels all over the lower body. As the blood flow is partially obstructed on the way back up and the valves that normally would stop the blood flowing backwards don't function as well as usual. This can lead to a woman developing varicose veins. Typically these are in the legs perhaps noticeable as a blue wiggly line bulging under the skin. It can cause aching and itching. Basic advice consists of not standing for prolonged periods of time as this can make the blood pool in the lower legs even more due to gravity. Simple exercises can also help as contraction of the leg muscles alongside the veins can help return some of the blood back up to the woman's pelvis. 
We can also advise wearing compression stockings. And that can be fine in the colder months, but certainly in summer, you don't want to be wearing thick, perhaps full-length compression stockings because you'll get very hot. They will get better after pregnancy. They may not necessarily disappear altogether, but they will improve. Some women will also find varicose veins popping up in the vulva and these can be troublesome. They're very difficult to treat. It's not as easy as using compression stockings or exercise. And again, they can be very uncomfortable. Again, something that seems trivial can cause significant problems around the time of birth. If there's a tear across one of these dilated blood vessels, a woman can lose blood very rapidly and they need stitching very quickly to prevent excessive blood loss. Blood vessels can also cause hassle in other areas of the body. Nosebleeds are another common pregnancy problem. Don't totally understand what triggers them, although the mucous membranes, the kind of lining of the the back of the nose and the mouth, do tend to get a bit thicker in pregnancy. Women often complain of a more stuffy nose or difficulty with their sinuses. So it may be partially in relation to this that nosebleeds are more common. But it's not an uncommon thing for a woman to come to my clinic and tell me she's had a lot of nosebleeds. Again, treatment is just as for any other normal nosebleed. Pinch your nose over the bridge, perhaps tilt your head back, wait for it to settle and stop. It's an inconvenience. Bleeding from gums is also more common. Hormonal changes can make build-up of bacteria and inflammation of the gums more common. This is one of the reasons that free dental care is available in the UK for women in pregnancy or the first year after a baby's born. In fact, dental hygiene and good health of your gums and teeth is essential in pregnancy because there are some links between gum inflammation and dental issues and some pregnancy complications. I've added a link in the programme notes if you want to know a little bit more. So if you're having regular bleeding from your gums as a pregnant woman, go to your dentist, get a checkup. It's perfectly safe in pregnancy and actually will be better for you and your baby's health if you do so and get it seen to rather than if you delay. This is by no means a full list of all the symptoms you might experience in pregnancy. But I hope it's given you a little insight into some of the common things that women experience. Perhaps your partner is pregnant. It might be that she's having some of these symptoms and it helps you understand. Or perhaps you're a woman wondering what is happening to your body. And it might give you a little bit of help to know that these are just some of the side effects of your body working hard, growing a baby. 
Let's come to the zesty bit. The zesty bit today, I feel, is about support. Support and understanding. If you're a healthcare professional, sometimes we can get so caught up in the science that we don't really listen. Listen to what that woman's saying and think about what she needs to get through this pregnancy. And I think hyperemesis can be a really good example of that. A woman who tells you she's vomiting all the time, that she can barely live her life, that she can't eat anything remotely nutritious for her baby. Regardless of what she looks like when she comes and sees you, regardless of what her urine test dip shows, she is struggling and you need to listen and sort out whatever she thinks will make her pregnancy manageable. Whether that is a prescription for anti-sickness medication, whether that's regular intravenous fluids, whether that's more frequent antenatal checks and appointments, whatever it is that makes her feel supported, listened to and believed. I was really struck by what Deepa has shared with us about her experience of hyperemesis. It isn't a woman being dramatic. It isn't a woman seeking attention. It's a woman who is really struggling with just being herself. And that needs kindness, understanding and support. And I think that goes for most of what we think of as more trivial symptoms. We can reassure women, but it's them that have to live with these symptoms for many months. And our kindness and understanding may make those months more bearable. If you're a pregnant woman listening today, or perhaps your partner is pregnant, explore some of the links and information I've enclosed in the programme notes. Know that what your body is doing is completely healthy and okay. It's just responding to an enormous amount of change that's going on. And if you have things that you're worried about, don't hesitate to talk to your doctor or midwife, because they can often give you advice and support from their experience. We're there to help you through the pregnancy and make sure at every step that the things that you're experiencing are okay and not a threat to the safety of you or your baby. Any symptom you have is not too trivial to discuss. Ask questions make sure you understand the answers. Make sure we've given you sufficient explanation and answer and support for whatever your symptom is, whether I've mentioned it here or whether it's something else altogether. I do hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of The Obs Pod. Feel free to contact me on Twitter at FWMaternity or at The Obs Pod to ask me questions, give me topics for future episodes or let me know what you think. It's absolutely fantastic when you get in touch. I really enjoy reading your comments. 
As usual, I've tried to include in the programme notes some extra reading about this particular topic, both for professionals working in maternity care and for pregnant women using services. I'd like to reassure you that although I'm talking about my experiences working in maternity care, I take confidentiality very seriously and do not give any personal information about any of my patients. If you've enjoyed listening, I'd love you to recommend the OBSPOD to friends or colleagues and please do leave me a review on whichever podcast directory you find my episodes. Many thanks for listening.